Welcome to The Last Theory, an easy-to-follow exploration of what might be the last theory of physics, Wolfram physics. I'm Mark Jeffrey, and this is episode 35, Causal Invariance versus Confluence. This is another excerpt from my recent conversation with Jonathan Gorard, who was instrumental in the founding of the Wolfram Physics Project. Causal invariance is one of the most important concepts in the Wolfram model, and one of the most difficult to capture. So I really wanted to hear Jonathan's take on it, and on how it relates to confluence, the coming together of different branches of the multi-way graph. Let's get into causal invariance, and yeah, maybe we'll get into the multi-way graph here. So, so again, this is one of the most crucial concepts in Wolfram physics. So how to introduce it? If you think about the different orders in which a rule can be applied to the hypergraph, you end up with this multi-way graph with an unimaginable number of different universes all connected by the orders in which rules are applied. But, but there are some circumstances where it doesn't matter what order you apply the rule in, you end up with the same universe. So this is kind of crucial for reducing this incredibly complex multi-way graph to something we can actually wrap our minds around. So, so can you talk a little bit about the role of causal invariance? Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's actually, it's a, even though it's a, such a foundational concept to the project, it's actually a surprisingly difficult notion to talk about because there's a lot yes. of subtlety and a lot. Of, I mean, even when, when, you, when you make a statement like that they are, you know, the, the two hypergraphs are the same or the, the two states of the universe are the same, that the same phrase, like, you know, that conceals yes. a lot of sins. There's a, there's a lot of deep stuff, you know, b- b- behind that notion of equivalence. Because yeah. there are many different notions of equivalence you can define on hypergraphs, and only some of them really have compatibility with causal invariance. Yeah. But, okay, so the way I would, the, the way I would think about it, or the way, I, the way I personally think about it, is, again, by analogy to the thing I mentioned earlier about the kind of Penroseian view of space-time. So, you know, the, 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 the lesson we learn from this kind of differential topology view of the structure of space-time is that that really what matters is causal structure. And the, the, that's the one thing that's agreed upon by all observers in relativity, is if, if event A causes event B, or if event A can, it doesn't cause event B, if, you know, if event A is space-like separated from event B, it doesn't matter how fast you're moving, doesn't matter what kind of gravitational field you're in, everyone's going to agree on that information, right? The causal structure yeah. is invariant. So that, that, that's, that's saying that if you now imagine, uh, you know, you do the kind of causal set theory thing, and you say, well, let's now imagine space-time not as a continuum of events, but just as like a discrete, gra- you know, directed acyclic graph of events. What that's saying is that all observers should agree on the same graph structure. They might lay it out in a different way, but the graphs should be isomorphic, yeah. right? Yeah. So now in the Wolfram Physics Project, different, different observers, different reference frames, different gravitational frames, etc., are effectively parameterized by different updating orders in the hypergraph. Because in a sense, okay, this requires sort of thinking about the notion of simultaneity. So it's like you've got some hypergraph and, you know, you, you, you have a rule and it can potentially match many, many different possible sub-hypergraphs in that graph. So there's some ambiguity yeah. of where you apply that rule. And sometimes the, the, the different hypergraph matchings will overlap, in which case yeah. you've got a genuine kind of divergence in the history of the universe. But if they don't yeah. overlap, if they're genuinely separated, if they're, if they're spatially distant, then although, you might then although you could apply one, then the other, or the, the second, then the first, and that would lead to a lo- kind of local branch, you know because they're different, they're applied in different places, those yeah. branches aren't going to conflict with each other. Eventually, they're going to kind of, they're going to re-merge. Yes. 
So it's not, yeah. it's somehow not a genuine branching event as it would be if they kind of, if they overlapped. Yeah. So what that means is you can, th- you can look, you can take an individual hypergraph and you can think about it in terms, you could imagine kind of decomposing it into some maximal set of spatially separated rewrites. So some, some maximal yeah. set of space-like separated matches. And each one of those maximal sets of space-like separated matches is a different updating order, right? Because the, so e- yes. each one of those is a different, is a genuinely different branch of history that you could, you could traverse. Yeah. And any difference in the order in which you apply the spatially separated ones isn't a true difference in history. It's just a kind of local change. Yeah. In the intuition is this is very, very deeply related to the notion of a simultaneity surface in relativity, right? Each one of these decompositions of our space-like hypersurface into a maximal set of space-like separated events is like a different choice of simultaneity surface. In, in effect, therefore, a different local choice of reference frame. Yeah. So the idea that what in relativity we would describe as conformal... In, so, uh, th- okay. It's important to note that there are various terms that get used in relativity to describe essentially the same idea. The idea that causal structure is invariant for different... is, you know, agreed upon for different observers. In the simplest case, it's just called kind of Lorentz invariance or Poincaré invariance in the context of special relativity. It's sometimes called conformal invariance in the context of general relativity or diffeomorphism invariance or general covariance in the most general case. But it's all the same kind of idea. It's that if you make some change of coordinates that, that corresponds to a change of observer, that that's not going to affect which events cause which other events. Yeah. So the question is, can we imagine making a corresponding statement for the, for the discrete model, for, you know, for, for something based on Wolfram model evolution? And so then the obvious thing to do is to say, well, for each of our different choices of updating order, in effect, for each of, our, each of the different choices of maximal set of space-like separated events we could apply to a given hypergraph, we want it to be the case that the causal graph, the causal structure generated by that rewrite, is the same. That, that in effect, yeah. if you looked at all different branches of the multiway system, all the causal graphs that you would derive by, by traversing those branches of the multiway system should all be isomorphic as directed acyclic graphs. Maybe they won't be locally isomorphic, you know, maybe for at a given local point in time, they might be different, but eventually they should all become isomorphic. That would be kind of the direct translation of the concept of diffeomorphism invariance or Lorentz invariance or general covariance or whatever. And that's precisely the notion of causal invariance. The notion is that, yeah, if you, if you take a causal invariant rule and you, you run out its multiway system, eventually all the causal graphs that you get by looking at all branches of the multiway system will eventually be the same. Now, Mark, you then made this connection to a very deeply related concept, which is called confluence, or if you're a logician, called the Church-Rosser property. But confluence, I think, is a nicer term because it's <laughs> yeah. much, it's more, more, it brings you in mind of rivers converging and whatever. It's a much more intuitive yeah. idea, uh, which is the idea that if you've got a branching event in a, in a multiway system, that even though those two branches of history might, might, be, might diverge, they might be separate for a bit, eventually they'll converge again, right? Eventually yeah. the multiway system will come back and they'll, you know, once you kind of modded out by all the different sort of local branching events, eventually there should be just a single thread of time that's agreed upon by all observers. That's a notion called confluence in, 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 in mathematical, well, in the theory of rewriting systems and in the theory of mathematical logic. And clearly on the surface, it, it's somehow deeply related to, to, to uh, we, it, it seems like it should be deeply related to the notion of causal invariance. So now, as I say, this is where it gets a little bit technically subtle, because you, you can make it equivalent if you define your notion of equivalence between hypergraphs in the right way. Okay. Again, this may be getting a little bit too deep into the details, but I'll, I'll say it anyway, just because it's, it's useful to, to clarify. So it turns out if you choose the kind of the most obvious notion of equivalence on hypergraphs, hypergraph isomorphism, then the two concepts are not necessarily the same. Then you can, they're, 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 
mostly the same, but you can find these very annoying corner cases where actually the two, where you can get confluent rules that are not causal invariant or, oh, sorry, no, you can't, no, sorry. You can get causal invariant rules that are not confluent, sorry, that okay. way around. Yeah. Because one is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the other. Yeah. But if you use the, that there's a, there's a refined notion of hypergraph equivalence that is the thing that, for instance, I've been using in all the kind of research that I've been doing for the last year or so, actually more than a year. The idea is, it's a little bit sort of almost blockchain-y in its, in its nature. The idea is that, okay, sorry, let me step back one, one second. You've got a hypernode in a hypergraph. That hypernode, does that hypernode have some identity, right? Yeah. One possibility is you just say, well, they're all hypernodes, are, they're just anonymous, right? All hypernodes yeah. are just defined structurally. And that's, you know, for the, for the purpose of doing hypergraphic writing, that's mostly what you think of saying. But when you, when you trace causality, you can't do that anymore. Because in order to have a notion of causality, you need to be able to say, well, you know, our, our definition of causality is you say, well, event A causes event B. If the input for event B made use of hyperedges or hypernodes that were produced by the output of event A, well, to do, be able to do that, you need to be, have some well-defined notion of were those two hypernodes or hyperedges the same? So they can't be yeah. purely anonymous. There, there has to be yeah. some persistent notion, notion of identity. Yeah. So what notion, what persistent notion of identity do you use? Do you just arbitrarily assign the nodes names? That seems a bit yeah. weird. Well, the idea that I kind of became quite taken with, which as I say is really a, a somewhat distributed ledger sort of idea is you say, well, let's identify each node with its causal history. So each node, oh. you, you, you say, okay, it's identified by, it's kind of, it, you define the causality in a slightly recursive way. Yeah. Yeah, the causality is defined in the way I just defined. The, 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 you, you know, the, the input for one event makes use of edges or nodes that are produced by the output of another event. But the way that the identities of the nodes and edges is, is, is maintained is by looking at each, by looking at their causal histories. So if their causal yeah. histories are identical, then the nodes or edges are considered to be identical, that they, they effectively can be swapped without changing the structure of the system. Whereas if two nodes or two edges have different causal histories, then a swapping operation will, genu will genuinely change the behavior of the system. That's sort of the, yeah. that's the intuition. So if that's your notion of equivalence, then causal invariance and confluence become the same idea, more or less trivially, because then you're, you're basically saying, well, I treat two hypergraphs as being the same only in the case where their causal histories are identical. And then yeah. there's no ambiguity anymore. So and yeah. that, that, that way of essentially assigning identities to nodes and edges turns out to solve a, lot of other pro a handful of other problems as well. But one of the nice yeah. conceptual features that it has is that it, this discrepancy between causal invariance and confluence that would otherwise exist goes away as soon as you, as soon as you introduce that as your notion of identity. Oh, that's great. I, again, I'm going to have to think about that a, a lot more, but that's, uh, I'm glad you got into the details of the equivalence of the nodes and how you're thinking about labeling them effectively instead of just labeling them number one, number two, node number three, node number four. You're actually looking at their causal histories and labeling them that way. Yeah. And I, I should say, what, okay, to be, to be clear on why I found the notion of just, not, of just arbitrarily assigning them names to be unsatisfactory, it's because, again, when you try and define a notion of causality, which is, of course, really foundational if you want to try and make this a model of physics, yes. that idea of just arbitrarily assigning names to stuff, like using generated variables, which is what we were doing before, yeah. has, in my opinion, an extremely undesirable feature, which is that it can introduce what I refer to as spurious causality, spurious causal relations. In effect, because you can have an event that does nothing, except it just happens to kind of touch a single node or a single edge or something. Yes. When it touches it, it generates a new name for it because that's how the algorithm works. 
Yeah. And so now all, all subsequent events that make use of that node will will kind of be will appear to be causally related to this other event that didn't actually do anything. It didn't change anything yes. about the structure of the hypergraph. It just yeah. touched an edge and changed some names. But now that thing is causally related to a whole bunch of other events into the future, even though it had no actual yeah. material effect on the hypergraph. And I found this yeah. very, very disturbing as an idea that you <laughs> so, so it was in the quest to try and find a a sensible causal semantics for these models, which is actually something I, one of the big projects I'm working on right now is trying to sort of really refine and, and, and hone our, 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 the notions of causality that we use in these models. But it was in that, it was part of that quest that I came up with this, this notion of, well, maybe we should, maybe we should do the merging based on, based on causal history. And it led to this idea, which I called causal multi-way systems, which has kind of been a, a, a foundational piece of some of the stuff I've done since. Thanks for listening to The Last Theory. Join me for fresh insights into Wolfram Physics every other week. Subscribe to the free newsletter, podcast or YouTube channel at lasttheory.com. After all, this might be the most fundamental scientific breakthrough of our time.